Welcome to the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast. It's very exciting. This is our very first episode uh, that we're doing here today. I'm Josh and I'll introduce our lovely uh, host sitting beside us here in a, just a second. But I'm just going to explain what this podcast is about. We've all sort of in our lives tried to read the Bible from start to finish. And it's a very daunting task to try and try and do 66 books. We, we get through it and then we sort of just fall off. So this podcast here is an aim to help us go through it. So each week we will be going through different passages of the Bible and helping you, the listener, uh, at home to be able to read it with us whilst the three of us uh, in our different uh, capacities are able to give different perspectives. And so the the title of the uh, show, The Expert PK and Newbie, is sort of designed to be able to give the three different perspectives of three different people from three different walks of life. So we have the expert who's done sort of more formal study, formal theology, um, has gone to uni and is able to bring that insight from there. PK, who is myself, uh, which is stands for pastor's kid, sort of brings that being brought up with the church from birth, as my father is a pastor, is able to bring that insight through the background of, of being the behind the scenes of, of the church and, and seeing the sort of the inner workings, both good and bad. Um, and I like to think I know a lot, but really I don't. I'm just sort of scratching the surface, really. Um, but I have the title of the PK, so the stereotype is I should know everything, right? And so we have the newbie. The, the newbie is someone who is uh, relatively new to the faith. It's not like, bam, yesterday um, there was a conversion or something, but relatively new to the faith and is hungry to, to learn and is hungry to, to consume. And, it is, um, and they have their very valuable insight. And so hopefully we're able to come together and bring our three different perspectives. Well, let's introduce everyone here. So like I said before, I'm Josh. I'm By trade, I'm a uh, filmmaker. I work in the TV and movie industry, uh, working on various different projects. Um, yeah, I also help out at, in the church as, as PK. I'm doing a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff, which is also why I like to do the film and TV, TV route. Let me introduce the expert. So we have our expert, Lachlan. Hello. Uh, I want to just point out that when we use the word expert, we're using it very liberally. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm someone with a crazy encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible, but I am someone who's probably spent longer looking at it and studying it than your average churchgoer. So I just want to clear that up at the beginning. Mm. If I happen to get things wrong, which I won't, it's okay. But if I happen to get <laughs> things wrong, then there is a there's a grace that's allowed here, hopefully. <laughs> uh, anyway, hello, I am Lachlan. Um, uh, let's start off with the reason I've been chosen as the expert, uh, which is a very fun title because, mm. again, I don't know if it's totally accurate. Uh, but I uh, studied at Sydney Missionary and Bible College where I got a Master's of Divinity Incredibly pretentious sounding degree, uh, but very fun to drop in conversations. Uh, so I studied my master's there. I currently work for a church. Uh, I look after all things youth ministry related, uh, which is really fun. So I get to engage a lot with young people, uh, both youth and young adults who help serve and help uh, just help me run this ministry, which is fantastic. Uh, then I also do a bit of marking, uh, like Bible college marking for the Australian College of Ministries, uh, which is a nice little side hustle. 
uh, keeps me in an academic mindset as I get to read people's essays in the Bible and God's word and keeps me thinking about it, which I found really helpful over the past year or so. Um, in terms of what I do normally, well, when you work for a church, it sort of consumes your life a little bit. Uh, I'm not saying whether that is healthy or not, but I definitely spent a lot of time at church. Um, I'm engaged and getting married in a month. Depending on when this drops, uh, I'll probably be married, to be honest. Uh, but that is also currently consuming a lot of time, mm. um, like really joyous time, but still getting ready for a wedding or more importantly, marriage after that takes up a lot of time. And then I try and fit all my friends and family into whatever spare time I have. So any other hobbies sort of go out the window and I end up drinking way too much coffee, just trying to catch up with the people that I love in my life. There's a tiny little insight about me. A little snippet into, into Lachlan's life. I reckon. Excellent. So Morgan, hi. Hello. Can you introduce yourself? I'm Morgan. Um, I am a healthcare worker in Victoria. Victoria. Um, <laughs> I'm relatively new to faith, so about two years going on being baptised. Came into faith after a big struggle in my own life. Um, and I had a lot of questions at the start that I thought were dumb questions. Um, but now having a lot of friends come to faith they're having the same questions um so I came into this podcast hoping to be that bridge of bridging that gap between new Christians and wanting to know more um I'm currently studying youth work finishing my degree and hoping to do some kind of ministry study down the track I'm not sure what yet nice excellent and just to sort of reiterate like what you said about the the titles is yes there are there are titles but that doesn't mean that is the be or end or and also what we sort of discuss and say here isn't necessarily the be or end or we encourage everyone to explore for their own and going into it um, in on their own and, and going through it we're just here to hopefully guide you through that path uh, as we go through excellent wow this is very exciting is it so we should jump right in so what passage are we doing today mr lachlan uh we are looking at matthew chapters one and two perfect Today's passage comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 1 and 2. If you haven't already, please pause now and read those chapters. In these chapters, we find the genealogy of Jesus followed by his birth and childhood travels from Bethlehem to Egypt, before finally settling in Nazareth. Alright, let's get back to the podcast. I thought I would jump in right at the beginning, because we've just read two chapters. Mm-hmm from the beginning of a book of the Bible. And I think one of the most important things when it comes to understanding the Bible at all is understanding the context of whatever you're reading. Mm. And given that this is the first episode on the Gospel of Matthew, um, I like to always ask four questions about any book of the Bible that I'm reading because I think context is just like the most important thing when it comes to understanding. So if it's all right with you two, I'm just going to ask the four questions. Of course. Get your thoughts on them yep. and uh, we'll go from there. And then we'll finally, we'll dig into the details of the passage. But I just think as a starting point, it's mm -hmm. helpful. Uh, so I always think the good starting place for question one is authorship. So who wrote this? Any, any thoughts? Oh, who wrote this? Uh... I have absolutely no idea. Uh, I'm, not, I'm trying to rack my brain. I can't tell if we're being serious or not. No, I'm done. As, as in, like, it's because it's Matthew, right? But I, like, I don't know if it was a trick question of, like, it was someone else who wrote it and just Matthew's name on it. It doesn't have to be a trick question. Like, yeah, I don't it's know allowed to just be Matthew. Yeah, just Matthew. Matthew. All right, well, there you go, Matthew. For some reason, we're like, oh, wow, he's stumped us. <laughs> <laughs> question one, we're, we're already stumped. And then, and then I look down, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's just Matthew, isn't it? Mm. Do we know anything about Matthew? You don't have to know anything about Matthew. Just he figure it out. 
tax collector. Oh, yeah, nice. Don't know why I know that information. <laughs> no, that's helpful to know. Fun fact, this gospel has like three or four different words for coins in it where every other gospel just uses like the one word for coin, whereas mm. whoever wrote this gospel clearly liked to differentiate between different types of coins, which feels like a random thing to include yeah. in your gospel. Do we know why that's the case? I'm assuming because Matthew was a tax collector. Yeah, so he just <laughs> just knew about coins and so wanted... Just included it. To include it. Oh, there you go. Now, I should point out that most scholars... I say most scholars, not that many people necessarily agree that Matthew wrote this, Mm. but the early church, so we're talking about people who like only a few decades on from the writing of this book, like unanimously agreed that Matthew, the disciple of Jesus, who was once a tax collector before he became a disciple, wrote this book. And so, yes, modern scholars will argue about how it may not be Matthew, but I think the early church is a really good witness like, if you were going to make up who wrote this gospel, you would choose Peter or John or Paul. Like, you choose someone really famous in the early church. Matthew was just kind of one of the 12 disciples, but not a well-known one. Like, it's not the one I would choose if I was going to make up a gospel. So the fact mm. that his name got associated with this gospel from, like, the very beginning, there's literally never been any other suggestion of anyone else it could have been. Mm. I think it's fairly safe to say, no, it was Matthew who wrote this gospel. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So that's the first question. I always think authorship of mm. a biblical text is important to figure out. Uh, the next question I like to ask is, what genre are we reading? Because I think genre can determine a lot. Once again, this is not actually a trick question, just something I think we should bring up when we look at any book of the Bible. It's, it's just, it's the recounting, well, is it the recounting genre? Yeah, some type some, of historical too. narrative, mm. biographical maybe. Rather than more like the po- the poetic yeah. writings or things like um, songs or, po- like, or poems or things. Yeah, because yeah. the Bible has so many genres in it. Mm. Like it's got elements of mythology in there or grand apocalyptic visions or poetry or parables. But this just seems to be straight up biography, like just read it as something that is happening. And that's a lot of the New Testament, right? That's that's pretty much. Yeah. This is the recount. The good first half of the mm. New Testament before we start getting to just a whole bunch of letters, <laughs> which is like, here's some theology written in a letter. Please mm. take it. And that's a whole that's a whole other discussion to get into the letters. Yeah, we will get there later, we'll get hopefully. There. Uh, the next question I always ask is, what is the historical background of the book? Like, where and when are the events of the book set? Bethlehem. Yeah. Because it's the birth of Jesus. Mm. And then, it, then there's the escape to Egypt. And then Nazareth. Ends up there, yeah. Yeah. By the end of our passage. Yeah. It's mm. just, it's set in ancient Israel in the first century. Mm. Like that's just important to keep in mind. Because mm. while the whole New Testament is basically set in Israel in the first century, when you take the Bible as a whole, there's lots of different places it could be set and time periods it could be set. Um, and the final one, I may just go on to answer because it involves having read the entire book. But like, what is the purpose? Like you want to know why a book was written before you dive into actually understanding it well. And as I read through the Gospel of Matthew in preparation for this, I kind of sensed two different purposes behind the author. And the first purpose seems to be he wanted to show unbelieving Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, Matthew, who wrote this is a Jew, Jesus is a Jew. Um, he clearly wanted the salvation of the Jews. And that is why, like, there is, even in these first two chapters, he references the Old Testament, so, like, the Jewish Holy Scriptures, so many times in just two chapters, which I think shows where he's coming from as an author. 
Um, the second thing I think Matthew is doing is that he wants to convey the teachings of Jesus. And so this gospel, more than any other gospel, was used in the early church because it has so, many, so much of the teaching of Jesus within it. It's not just a story of what he did. There's like huge chunks of Jesus's teaching and preaching. And so Matthew includes all of that, which I think is really helpful, was really helpful for the early church. That's why they used it so much. But it's also really helpful for us to just literally read what Jesus was trying to convey. And so I just think as we started off those four questions of authorship, genre, historical background and purpose are just nice to keep in our minds um, as we now dive into ideally the details of the text. Yes, I think for me, the first thing that stands out is the genealogy of Jesus. So for me, what is genealogy? (laughs) It's sort of just like a list of ancestors. It's like your family line tracing you way back into history. Because there was just so many names and so detailed for me, I was like overwhelmed yes. with the amount of people yeah, fair enough. in that first part. Were there any names that you recognized on that list, Morgan, from um, your time having read the Bible? Yeah, like Abraham and Isaac, Judah, but then there were some that I can't even say. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's always like whenever you have to read the Bible in front of anyone and it's a, it's a name heavy passage, oh, it's always, it is, you just, oh, am I saying that correctly? Or a location heavy passage. Mm, for me, yeah, it was is those names, there's just so many mm. names. When you stop to think about it, like the initial thought is, I, I feel like, all right, these are all the names. Okay, all right, well, we just have to get through these names and then we'll get to like... Get to the real stuff. We'll get mm. to the real stuff. But then if you stop and actually think about it, it's like, well, actually, no. If you think of, if you put it into your own context, you would want the importance of your own lineage and who your, you know, your descendants and, and everyone behind you. And you wouldn't want that dismissed. Yeah, let's get to Jesus's dad. And <laughs> yeah, and they went, cool, excellent. Because as I went through it, I tried to highlight the names I actually knew. And like beginning of the list, I was on fire because like, here's all the famous Old Testament stories. Mm. And then you kind of get from the, where it mentions Babylon and they return from Babylon. The rest of those names are totally unknown to me. I was like... Who are these people that has no significance? From even like a biblical point of view, you're like, I don't know who these people are. But I think it's, they're important because they do link Jesus ultimately to David and Abraham, which is just important. Because like you, when it comes to biblical history, you've got Abraham and David as like your big heavyweights of the Old Testament. And all the promises of God come through their lines. Like God makes promises to Abraham about what his family and descendants will do. And then God makes similar promises to David about what his descendants will do. So when Matthew starts off his gospel about how this is Jesus Christ, this is going to be the Messiah, the fulfillment of God's promises, any Jewish person is going to be like, but is he in the right line? Like Mm -hmm. if he's not actually directly related to both Abraham and David, then all of his claims are sort of for naught. Like they... They're nothing. So you just sort of have to start here for a Jewish reader. Otherwise, they can ignore the rest. I think they can sometimes get lost on us. We're we're, we're sort of privileged to have the knowledge of before, after, and have the sort of the entire book at our fingertips. And so we can easily flick through to the New Testament, Old Testament, and we can grab all this information. But like what you're saying, those people would have needed the lineage Mm. to confirm the importance of this or just to Mm. confirm that we are talking about the right person here for us like yep no we we, no that's all good i don't need to know who who he's from because it's because it's him but you know it's it's so in that context yeah yeah i agree with that and i think the detail it's gone into and listing it like that just highlights the importance of it was an important 
event and line of people to recognise. Going off that too, something that stood out to me is the number 14. Mm. Mentioning 14 generations three times. Is there a reason? Can you think of a reason? No, I don't know if it's just to highlight 14 generations. Like it's quite a big number. It's not like just three generations or four. Yeah. It's, but I'm not sure why 14 is their significance. Well, I want to start off by saying that I think what Matthew has done is selectively choose people for this list. I don't think it's actually exactly 14 generations between each of these things. There's lots of uh, genealogies in the Old Testament, and I think you'll find a few people that were omitted from this list. So Matthew has very intentionally crafted it so that it's three sets of 14. And so we really have to, like, we're meant to recognise that. We're meant Mm. to see that as significant and important. Um, I did a bit of research about this before coming because that also stood out to me when I first read it. And there's no guarantee answer. Some people think it's just Matthew highlighting the fact that there's three distinct stages of Israel's history. There's the Abrahamic bit, there's the Davidic kingship, and then there's the post-exile bit. And so we just really want to highlight three different sections. Another idea that people suggest is that David's name, so the way Hebrew works as a language is they don't have letters, sorry, they don't have numbers. And so they will use a Hebrew letter in place of a number. And you're just meant to tell from context that it's a number. If you look at the Hebrew letters that make up the word David, Mm. it actually accounts for 14. Mm. And so some people think that Matthew is intentionally grabbing onto this theme of 14, which is sort of the number of David, and just like directing our attention so that everything about this list just screams son of David at us. Mm. So we go from Abraham to David, 14 generations, just like the number of David. Mm. And then we go from David to the Babylonian exile, the number of David. Like I think he's just really in our face about David is important everything about Jesus's background and history and ancestry links to David being important. So it's so sort of, again, that context gets lost on us because we're not reading it in its original text, mm. like in its original translation um, of Hebrew. This gospel was originally written in Greek, oh. not Hebrew. Oh, so this would have go. just been assumed background knowledge oh. for the Jewish readers. Yep. But I mean, there's also a bit of debate and discussion about the, uh, the language of this gospel because certain early church members spoke about how Matthew wrote a gospel in Hebrew and the only gospel of Matthew we have is clearly written in Greek. So, I mean, that's a fun discussion maybe for another time. <laughs> Bring it back up later Bring if we have time. Up. Well, going into the sort of the, the, the further, further on from just the lineage, you know, we've got Joseph actually accepting his son but also accepting his future or wife mm. at that um, at that point he had pledged to marry her immediately he's going his, his brain's gone to she's cheated on me mm. to then turning around and um, hearing you know hearing from an angel for me which is very sort of ingrained into sort of um, my knowledge of 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 Jesus and and sort of the Christmas story of of everything especially as I get older I go back to being what would have Joseph felt like during the time mm. because a lot of the time we, we, we talk about Mary and her experiences and, and everything I always think like well Joseph also had a hard time trying to trying to deal with all, all that not not to mention the just the unknown of all of a sudden this has happened to my future wife um, and not really knowing what to do or how to handle that situation um, then an angel comes and sort of clears it up but still there's the trust that you're having to to, to follow that through and then what other people would have thought mm. around because there would have been a, a big social um, element 
uh, to this all of them, especially because especially because there's emphasis on he wanted to do this quietly. He wanted to divorce her quietly. So there would have been a big, big social. There would have been a lot of, um, I imagine, lots of sort of whispering and gossip that was that was happening around around town. Also, not to mention the fact that this is you're being told that your son is the son of God. <laughs> yes. You know, it's like, well, how do you grapple with the fact that your own son is like kind of not your own son but is but isn't like it's, I, like I can't like I can't comprehend that I don't even like I don't have kids but I'm always, I'm just like like to, to be told that your own son is not really yours is God it's God's son yeah I'm just like hmm. I've never really thought about it like that yeah I'm just having this ex- yeah I'm just having this existential crisis at the moment of like like what if, if I was a father what would I be thinking in this moment like yeah, and that's a lot for him to take on, like being mm. told what to do. It's kind of demands and then mm. also did my wife cheat on me? Like this is all happening and also the idea he might have had for his future is now oh. not that. He has been given his future. Yeah, the stigma that they all would have lived with mm. for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Like their culture was very private about sex. Like that was mm. something that you only did in marriage as a Jewish person. Yeah. And so people would have assumed that Mary was either unfaithful and Joseph was being the bigger man and just accepting it, or they would have been like, they just couldn't wait. And how unacceptable and shameful is that? It's mm. a lot. Yeah, a lot of pressure to live with for the rest mm. of your life. And it's, it's that, like, I think, like, Morgan, what you said, it's, it's that uprooting of your own life, mm. um, especially because we, we, we try to plan what our might our life might look like but this is just throwing it for a curveball this is mm. just throwing everything like you know it's like no nope, all right we're doing this now great cool yeah when i was reading this and i looked a bit into it um the angel was gabriel is that a significant why it's gabriel because i know gabriel's in the bible in other parts like why that angel or it just we because? basically only get two angels ever named in the bible yeah okay gabriel and michael like mm-hmm. they're just God's servants and they yeah. they rock up and they say things. And then leave. Yeah, basically. Yep. I'm sure there's Fair. a whole theology of different angels and what they do, but mm. I don't know if it's ultra important for it to be specifically Gabriel who rocks up here. Yeah, okay. So there's a question here, which is the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, but mm. then we call him Jesus. <laughs> what happened? Mm. Yeah, did they just miss the memo and yeah. give him the wrong name? <laughs> the wrong name, the wrong birth certificate. <laughs> I think we're meant to understand because Matthew doesn't see any conflict there. Mm. Like he happily writes, here's the prophecy, he shall be called Emmanuel, and then they named him Jesus. Like he happily writes that and mm. sees no conflict. And so I think the reason he sees no conflict is while Jesus's name would be Jesus, he would be Emmanuel, uh, which means God with us. Like he literally embodies the concept of Emmanuel, which is God physically with his people, even though he's going to be named Jesus, which is fun because when we get to the other end of the gospel in chapter 28, at the very, very end, Jesus's like final words to his disciples is, I am with you always. Mm. And so we start off the gospel with this, this coming Messiah is Emmanuel, God with you. And it ends with Jesus promising that very thing to his disciples. That's cool. Want to return to the genealogy. Yes. But I find it really, really interesting that Matthew includes four women in this list. And like, that's not something you would normally include in a genealogy. But all four of these women are like significant in the biblical story, but also significant for 
how in most family histories they would be the person you'd want to sweep under the rug. Like they'd be the person you like, don't talk about crazy Uncle Shane. Like those are these sort of women that are listed like pridefully in place of these are important members of Jesus' lineage. Because you've got um, uh, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth and Bathsheba. And so you've got Tamar and Rahab who were both prostitutes. You've got Ruth who was a foreigner and you've got Bathsheba who committed adultery. And so like, or a bit questionable. Not that the men in this line weren't. Like, very, very questionable things went on with the men in this line too. But I just found it really interesting that Matthew decided to, in God's inspired word, to include these women. Uh, and I'm seeing that as a moment of grace. I'd be curious as to why you think, but I'm seeing it as God being very clearly of, um, I've chosen and redeemed these people and this lineage and whatever the sins of the people in this line, it's leading up to Jesus. And that is a good thing. Mm. Here's a moment of grace shining through in the very early chapters of Matthew. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Because <laughs> <laughs> later on it says he will save his people from their sins. It's kind of like an example of, I've done this, so it's going to work. Like mm. it's, yeah. Mm. I don't mm. know. I think grace as well, mm. a bit of mercy. Jesus is coming, is not coming from like a noble line of quote-unquote royalty good people it's like no these can be your everyday people Mm. or your everyday like everyday dodgy sinful people yeah (laughs) of and and that no matter sort of where he's come from it's still significant and it's Mm. not and it's not lost or doesn't make it less that's a cool perspective Mm. i like that love it so there's mo- so there's multiple gospels and they're all sort of mm. recounting sort of the the same thing. So is all the genealogies the same, or are they different? I mean, you would hope they would be all the same. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not exactly the case. Yeah. Uh, that we only have two genealogies of Jesus mm. um, at the very beginning of Matthew, and then in like the second chapter of Luke, and they are actually different, which. Oh. I don't know about you guys, but that feels concerning to me. Do we know why they're different? Um, we don't know exactly why, but we have thoughts and solutions to what would otherwise be a pretty awful issue to have with <laughs> our gospel accounts. I don't know whether I just answer or whether you guys want to take pot shot guesses or thoughts. I mean, I, 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 to try and answer it, I would be like, well, a lot of this is recounting, right? And so it's a lot of, it's being information tra- that's being passed on from people to people and either um, either through text or via word of mouth. Um, so you're always going to have differing sort of uh, stuff that gets lost in translation or I would so I would just imagine over time um, from a lot of when these recounts were written um, that it would be uh, that you would have some differences. Um, in it, but if the majority of it stayed the same, then I would think that um, that sort of gives you a clear understanding that that is the moment that happened. And if someone, let's say one of the the writers rocked up late to something, and they got something slightly, they wrote it slightly, ever so slightly different because they were late to whatever this thing was, or the wherever the, whoever the account that they were hearing this from. Um, but if the the um, majority of it was correct i don't know i feel like i'm rambling um it's all right you're allowed to ramble yeah of, of, that would that would be my my thought process on why it would be slightly different like if the i i would imagine that if the if you know you saw david in there and then it went down to joseph great 
Well, for me, at the, at the least, if the top and the tail were the same, then to, and then everyone in, bet in between, because especially um, if you look at your own family trees, they can they can be quite different, or it's very hard to sort of try and look back at mm. uh, back at things. So if I don't know, for me, if the, the 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 top and the tail were the same, then I'd be like, great, cool. Would it concern you if the grandfathers were different, so they both listed different father for Joseph? Um, maybe because Joseph is probably an easier one to look at who's who was his grandfather. Mm. So is it different? Yeah, yeah, oh, there it you is. Go. Uh, the one we just read in Matthew has Jacob as Joseph's father, and I believe Luke has Eli. As um, Luke three, by the way, I said Luke two before, and that was incorrect. <laughs> um, now, something that's often offered as the solution here is Jesus has two parents. He's got Joseph. He's got Mary. It could be a lineage of each. Um, I mean, that's a potential solution. I don't know if it's necessarily the right one, but mm. it's like an easy potential. Like you could appeal to that straight away and be like, we don't have to worry about this anymore because there is at least a possible answer. Um, an answer that I feel slightly more persuaded by is that Luke gives us like a physical family tree, whereas Matthew here gives us more like the line of succession. So we know that when it comes to kings and kingdoms and succeeding, it's not always necessarily the firstborn son who succeeds. It is like the kingship stays in the family. Like all it takes is for a king to not have a son and suddenly it will jump over to like an uncle somewhere. Like uh, a lot of people think that this is the line of succession. Um, one of the reasons we think Matthew may be the line of succession is that there's a king listed in Jesus' uh, genealogy here by the name of uh, Jeconia, which is in verse 11. Now in the Old Testament, one of the prophets actually curses him and says, none of your descendants will ever inherit the throne. So the fact that he's listed in Jesus's genealogy could be concerning if we're to take that prophecy really, really seriously of none of your descendants will inherit the throne. But if we look at it as the line of succession, we can say that Jesus is related to David, like genetically via a different route, but the line of succession still passes through this king who we're told his physical descendants would not inherit the throne. And mm. so part of the thought process would be that um, while Eli and Luke was Joseph's biological father, Jacob was potentially the next in line for the throne and then maybe had no kids and so it passed over to Joseph. Um, and so the lines converge at important points. They both link up at David. They both link up at Joseph but they're different because one traces physicality and one traces, hey, who actually has the right to rule? Who is the heir? And I think that is probably the most persuasive I've heard about why they're different. Oh, that makes sense. I, I mean, I, I think that makes sense, especially because I, I wouldn't have thought of it in terms of succession. I would have always thought of it by blood, mm. like immediately one from the next, rather than, oh, it probably then swapped over to the uncle. I know that makes sense to me. I can, I can get behind that. Get behind the explanation? Yeah, That's I, I, can, like to I, hear. I like that one. Um, so something else I was thinking about while reading through that was verse 25. Um, so why Joseph waited till after Jesus was born to have sex with Mary? Thoughts, Josh? Well, okay, so this would be a very personal answer, which I'm happy to sort of say. I don't know, the thought of having sex while 
your wife is pregnant is a bit weirds me out a little. So I don't know if it is just that like surface level of that. So to, to me, I'm like, yeah, sure, I would too. Um, <laughs> your poor future wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, she's sitting in the room, so I feel like I can <laughs> she, say that. She is. I don't know if we need to cut this or not, but yeah, hey, it's there now. <laughs> but... But that that would be that would be like thinking about it. That is my very the very first thought that pops into my head um, is well, and then also the funny thought that pops into my head of like, well, if you've been told this is the son of God, do you, like, do, do you do you really want to go down that rabbit hole of? Yeah, kind of off that. It's like, is it a bit of a fear thing? Like this has yeah. all happened so quick. I've not got control over this situation. Like what could happen like is this just a bit of a fear like it's kind of a supernatural phenomenon kind of situation like Mm. yeah is it what's going to happen if I do that yeah or even just out of respect like just Mm. just just waiting it's either for Mary or even for you know like you know in in um for god or just even for the people like what it would look like for the people around even though it's a very private thing Mm. You know, there's already rumors and everything would have been spreading. So let's not add fuel to the flight, like fuel to the fire. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it could be a bit of proof. Like if Joseph was doubting, did Mary cheat on me? Is this real? Like when it actually happens and he's like, oh, no, it's fine. Like this is actually mm. that happening. I think this is the Bible Bible's way of reinforcing that Jesus was not the son of Joseph. Mm. Like you could have a situation where Mary's like, I'm pregnant, which is not really. And Joseph is like, oh, yeah, well, we'll just get together now. And then Jesus is born a little <laughs> bit early. And it's like, oh, could totally be Joseph's son. But like even the genealogy ends in such a way that it was, uh, let me read it for us. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, who's the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Like it's very clear, mm. even in that verse, that Jesus is not Joseph's son. Mm. And so I think to whatever reason Joseph had, God and the biblical authors used that to really hammer home that Jesus was not born from Joseph. Mm. Like he had nothing to do with it. Which, which is amazing because my brain immediately goes to the identity, identity crisis Joseph would have had mm. with his own yeah. son and how hard that would have been. Because even in this, like if he was to read, if Joseph was to read this back, it's clearly stating it's not Joseph's mm. son. Like to, and then to hear that would have been like just like, whoa. Yeah, it's a bit disheartening, isn't yeah. it? Like, sons are like, fathers take such pride in having a son and a boy. And it's just like, yeah, it's a bit disheartening for him probably. Mm. But in the same time, you've got to grapple this fact of, well, no, this is, this is a bigger, this is bigger than just me. Yeah. And this is, this is, this is for the greater, you know, there's a greater purpose here. And you're, and, and I know I would flip flop between the two. It's like, oh no, it's for this, but still in the same breath, like, you know, like you're, mm. you're going, you would have really had to wrestle with, mm. w- with this. I also think it's important here to point out that Joseph and Mary then did have a normal married relationship post Jesus being born. Mm. Now we're all Protestants here. Um, our Catholic brothers and sisters believe in a doctrine called the perpetual virginity of Mary, which is that she stayed a virgin for the rest of her life but I just don't think you could defend that biblically. Like this makes it pretty clear that until she had given birth, <laughs> they didn't. Mm. Yeah. And then we've got brothers and sisters of Jesus popping up in the next few chapters. So yeah. I think it's just very clear that once Mary gave birth to Jesus, this momentous event, this momentous person, then her and Joseph had 
the model marriage from there. Like there wasn't anything extra placed upon him as a husband. Mm. Like they consummated the marriage. They had more kids. Mm. So sorry, Catholic brothers and sisters, if you're listening to this, but I don't think that is a correct doctrine to hold. No, or even just thinking of it biologically. Yeah. So chapter two, guys, we diving into chapter two? Yes, yes. What are your thoughts, Morgan, on chapter two? Um, yeah, so straight up when I was reading chapter two, uh, Herod just stood out to me the whole way through. But in mm. the start, I just got vibes that he was threatened. Extremely threatened. So insecure. Um, And yeah, he was really questioning what happened and he wanted that proof. Um, And he was getting people together and like the journey that they were going to take. um, It's just such a big, significant journey. Like he was taking servants and scribes and all these people. And that journey would have taken geographically a few weeks. Um, So it was a big journey to make to see the proof of the star Mm. that they all saw. Mm. And the, the proof he, well, like he wanted the proof, but what was his actual goal in that? Because if he was, he was really yeah. threatened by it, you know, he was there to kill him off, right? Yep. Yeah, I think he wanted to prove them wrong and see that it wasn't actually there, even though he knew it probably was. He wanted to not see it. Mm. You got to mm. remember that Herod was a Roman appointed king. Mm. of Israel. So he wasn't descended from David. He wasn't even an Israelite. Yeah. Like the people hated him. Mm. And the Jews are well known for their uprisings and their rebellions. And so as the Roman appointed ruler of this area, you had to be uh, a bit careful to keep a good hold of everything. Mm. Yeah. So like even the hint of uh, a Jewish king being born is enough for someone as power hungry and insecure as Herod to take some pretty drastic actions mm. Mm. well it's something i didn't realize until it's sort of deep into it like and we'll probably get into this later so we won't touch on it too much but there were lots of sort of jewish rebel groups mm. in the in the areas and um especially especially later like radical radical jewish people um yeah so there would have been lots of lots of threats around i also think in the beginning of that um the imagery of the star mm. that would have been crazy to see like i said before like supernatural phenomenon kind of stuff like that would have been so crazy to see um and you'd want to go and see it and you'd want to find it see what everyone's talking about and i think it's mm. quite significant well i mean that leads to the question of what was the star so you've just assumed it was a crazy supernatural <laughs> phenomenon which to be honest i think that's where i, I eventually land of we don't need to explain every miracle in the Bible by some sort of naturalistic explanation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it can just be God doing his work, showing a certain star to lots of people. But there's lots of discussion about what that star could be. Um, I recently listened to another podcast. I don't know if I'm allowed to spruik other podcasts <laughs> on this, but <laughs> yeah, I think it's John true. Dixon's podcast, Undeceptions, I find a really helpful Christian resource as well. And he did a whole episode on what is the star. And there's been a bunch of ideas from comets to supernovas. Um, But one idea that he presented, well, he got an expert in to present on, was the idea that it could have been an astrological sign. Mm. So we sort of sit here in 21st century and laugh at astrology as a belief system. But all it would have taken is for a certain like planet to be in a certain quadrant of of the sky and if you were a, a wise astrologer from Parthia, 
then you would look at that and go, ah, I use my certain skill set to understand what this means. And so, for instance, in uh, 7 BC, both Saturn and Jupiter would have risen in a section of the sky that the Babylonians called the Westland or Palestine. And so Jupiter's like the king of the planets type idea. And so simply the idea of Jupiter being in a certain segment of the sky could have been enough for the local astrologers to go, ah, there's a new king of Palestine arising and then go on a journey to find him. So, like, that's a potential answer to what the star itself was. It wasn't necessarily supernatural. It Mm. was just, if you're an astrologer, you would have noticed the signs. Mm. Now, the reason I don't land there eventually is we see in chapter two that they follow the star directly to Bethlehem. That, uh, look, that could just be that the star sign they saw led them to Herod and Herod led them to Bethlehem and they eventually found Jesus somehow. But I'm also very happy to say it was just supernatural. God put a bright light up there. Doesn't have to be explained. Mm. Led them straight there. I just have also like a big, I love imagery in the Bible and I find there's so much reference to light and Mm. there's um, a verse about writing the names in in the stars. And later on in Matthew, we'll get to another episode, but they talk about let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And I just personally, I like the imagery of light and the star as like a symbol in this situation Mm. Um, and I think it's like a power thing like in the darkness there is a star and it's everyone's talking about it noticing it wanting to follow and travel to it and yeah I like it as a symbol hope symbol and power symbol in this that's good and so you you were sort of saying before that you sort of mapped out their journey I had to kind of map out to see um, Jesus's journey as a baby Mm -hmm. um, initially and it started at Judea uh, to Egypt, to Israel, to Galilee, to Nazareth. And if you look at that on the map, it's actually a big journey, mm. um, like when you actually look at it. And that just shows how significant this time was. Um, and that really helped me get my head around like the that Herod journey and the other things that you read in this chapter, just how big they were. Um, and if you just imagine seeing that, looking down on that, the big journeys of lines of people with all their stuff and their animals and camels, whatever they're taking, it just, yeah, crazy. I mean, mm. Bethlehem to Egypt, huge journey. Yeah. And then to end up in Nazareth in like the north of yeah. north of Israel is pretty crazy. With this baby that you don't know what's happened, this, what, what's the power, what's going to happen, like what is, yeah. what's actually going to unfold. It's all so unknown. Mm. Um, yeah. It's hard enough with a newborn yeah. when you go back home than to, <laughs> to travel with it. Though I'm sure Jesus was a good baby. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Whenever we sing the carol Silent Night, I'm like, he was just bored. I'm sorry. He was screaming. Like he was born in a stinky manger. Like he was crying for sure. Like it always annoys me when we sing Silent Night, just putting it out there. Oh, that's funny. But yeah, it was, I mean, yeah, it's a huge, huge journey. And it's mm. like what we were sort of discussing a little bit offline, but now that we're recording is of this notion that we're reading reading what sentence to sentence and we don't comprehend unless we have a map or actually take the time to look at from point a to point b where they're going yeah it would have taken ages years which leads to something you said offline josh to give you credit is that like there is huge time periods between some of these verses Mm. as we read through this like when herod orders everyone under two years old be killed 
That's because it's been about two years from when the Magi first saw the star. Like we're already seeing huge time periods within this section. And so th- these Magi going on to it, that's what we were, that's what the classic, the three wise men, right? Yep. yep. The three wise men. Well, we don't know how many wise men, but there mm. was three gifts they gave three to Jesus. Gifts. So unless there was a stingy guy in the back or <laughs> one guy who gave multiple gifts, Three feels like a decent number to... I feel like with the Christmas story, mm. we, we, t- we tend to sort of put everything together of like um, the shepherds and, and then, the, and then the, three, the three wise men all happening at the one time, but, mm. that wasn't, but that wasn't the case. No, not at all. Happened over an extended period of time. Mm. Like by the time the Magi rock up to see Jesus, they're no longer using the Greek word for newborn. They're using the Greek word for young child. Like there's, there's a shift there. And so it's, it's been a while by the time they get to Bethlehem. It's just so interesting hearing that as a newbie, like that information, like I just read through that and don't don't fathom that time difference like we were saying. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because Jesus would have been a toddler. Like, yeah. would have been able to like, sort of receive those gifts. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he like loved hair. taking the frankincense <laughs> and was like, ah, ah excellent. <laughs> Thank you for this Thank gift. For <laughs> so the other question I have is, what does what what does magi mean? That's a great question. I assume it's where we get the word magician or magic from. Mm. Like, effectively, what they were was they are astrologers. They were officials or nobles of quite high esteem in the Persian Empire. Oh, the Parthians. The the empire in that section of the world keeps changing names, but it's sort of the one people group that remains. Um, and so they, they were like quite high up and quite intelligent people. This is the same type of person that um, Daniel in the book of Daniel came to lead um, in this mm. section of the Babylonian empire at the time. So you can see, if you read the book of Daniel, you see what a respected position in the nobility being an astrologer was. Mm. On the topic of the Magi, what I find interesting is I love anything that helps me authenticate the Bible a little bit. Mm-hmm. And there's always people who want to argue that the Bible is written like 100 years after Jesus, except we're told here that Herod welcomes these Magi who are from the East, except by the second century, the Roman Empire was at serious war with the Sassanid Empire. That was these people in the East. And so if you were just concocting this story in the second century, you would not have had... Herod welcoming these people that have just become enemies of the state. And so I always find that interesting that once again, like the timing of Jesus's birth is incredible. Mm. Like the Romans had just initiated a period of peace that we hadn't seen yet. They just finished constructing roads across the entire empire so that a new message or gospel could go out everywhere. But like a little bit after war sort of returns. So it's just this beautiful middle zone of like the perfect timing for Jesus to come. And on this sort of, on, on this on this journey that they're taking, I think for, for me, going through any parts of the, the Bible, you're like there's this sort of romantic picture that gets mm. sort of displayed. And especially, you know, going through Sunday school and, and all that, there's the sort of romanticized version or this sort of very peaceful version. But this could have, like, you know, there, there, there would have been more threats than just Herod on their journey. There were, um, it would have been difficult. It would have been hard. It's not just Herod and um, his people going after Mm. after them there would have been uh, you know there could have been bandits there could have been you know like where you're going to get your food your water like there's so much other mm. things so, so to go on this journey like it's like oh yeah they you know da, 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 they go, they're going off it's like no no this could have been real difficult for them yeah. especially carrying 
gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Like those mm. are some things worth robbing. But also that's potentially what got them through their journeys. Like Joseph isn't working if they're traveling all over the, the Middle East at this time period, but suddenly they have these expensive gifts that potentially sustain them for a little while. Yeah, and in here it says they got up in the night and left in the darkness. Mm. That would be so scary. And they had to flee to Egypt, which when I looked into it was about 90 miles from where they were. Mm. So that's pretty far till they were safe. So in the night, knowing you've got 90 miles ahead to try and get somewhere with a child, with all that stuff, like you're saying, all the scary things that could happen. Mm. Yeah, just the darkness. I'm all about the light and the dark. And that sounds, that just adds fear to that poor mother. Like, yeah. And so much has happened for them in that short period, Mm. early life. Like it's, it's scary. Yeah. Imagine that being within your first year of marriage. Yeah. Like crazy. Not, not planning for that. But then, (laughs) you know, it shows their, it shows, it shows their faith. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, to, to sort of bring it back around. It's that, that faith and that trust in God just to get up, we'll go. Mm. Yes. It's going to be scary but we have this faith and this trust that we'll get through it. Yeah. And I think Joseph is an underrated character. Mm. Like we only see him for two or three chapters at the beginning of the Gospels and then he's never mentioned again. And yet what we see of him is he accepts Mary as his wife and Jesus as his son. He instantly flees to Egypt at the drop of a hat when told to. Like he is a faithful man, a man to be admired. And you could almost see why he was chosen by God to be the person who would bring up his son. And that also wasn't told to him in person. That was told in a dream. So trusting in a dream as well, like not knowing if you just dreamt it or having that trust as well. Sort of just reflect on my own life is like, would I, would I mm. just get up and go like that? You know, would From I From a be? dream, like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if I had a supernatural angel experience, I'd be like, sweet, where am I going? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wake up from a crazy dream and I <laughs> dreamed I was in Egypt, I'd be like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to think I'd like to think that if God called me to, I'd immediately mm. be like, yes. But you know, then there's a part of me that goes, well, the human side of me that goes, maybe I'd question it. Maybe mm. I'd be very hesitant. Mm. Maybe I'd do the whole Jonah thing and like <laughs> go the other way. Go the other way. Like there will be moments where you just need to go or you just need to do, mm. and you need to have that trust and take that leap and go for it, um, because God is with you and got you. Mm. And he's got your back, and it may f- it may be scary, and there will be those tough times. Mm. But yeah, he like you know like with this one, they return to Nazareth, and Harold Harold dies, and it's all safe for them to come back, and in um, and it's all through trust and in that obedience to like yep, well we're now we're now safe, and they can and they can live out their their lives through this sort of scary first first period of life. And I think a good lesson for us here, because I as a pastor, I like to actually apply God's word that we're, <laughs> we're reading, is that it's not just in the big life-changing things that we should listen for the instructions or commands or whisper of God. Like I've had moments where I see someone standing alone and I'm an introvert. I don't like talking to randoms or strangers, but you just feel a prompting and you go and talk to them and it turns out to be really important for either them or you. And so there's just the small moments in life where we just need to trust and go and do. Even if it's not as life-changing as, hey, your partner's going to have a kid. It's not yours. But they didn't cheat on you, so don't worry. <laughs> it's like, all right, cool. I feel like that would have been a bit of power to him as well, knowing that, oh, no, that was not. Mm. Like, that was real. That happened. It was reassuring. So he's like, if I can get through that and that was real, I can do this journey. I can mm. save my kid and wife and 
Yeah, be safe. I think it's worth bringing up why mm-hmm. we would include a birth story at all. Like there's, there's this uh, famous quote from a theologian in the early church that says only pagans celebrate birthdays. And so I was like, well, the, why is Jesus' birth recorded in multiple <laughs> gospels? Like, why is this so important? Um, and I think it's important to think about that God, as Jesus, got the full human experience. He didn't like mm. magically come down from heaven at 30 years of age and start preaching, which is where several of the other gospels begin. But like, he was born. He was, he grew up with this family. He matured like he had the full range of human experiences and his birth proves those facts. Like we don't need a whole, like several chapters of his childhood to show that he grew up with the human experience. We just need proof that he was born. And then to see how his birth so perfectly fulfills themes and prophecies from the Old Testament is just further proof of who he is. And so I think it just starts us off in the life of Jesus in a really good place. Mm. We're aware mm. that he is significant we are aware that he is fulfilling things, but we're also aware that there is ways in which we as Christians now can really relate to him because he had this experience of growing up. I just, I would love to know how Mary's birth was. Like, because she had this supernatural experience and this amazing gift of this child. Like, did she have an easy labor? Did she have it like, do you know what I mean? Just like, was it different because of the circumstance? Well, like what you were saying about, well, he... God came as like to be like fully man. Mm. I would then imagine the, the birth would have been pain. It wouldn't have been easy. Mm. It would have been just an easy breezy. Like it would have been like any other sort of birth. It would have been like painful, and it and you know you, we don't know like if there were any like complications or any or mm. anything. I would you know God was coming down as man to be mm. like us. Yeah, I would imagine yeah. it wouldn't have been. It would have been. It would have been rough. Mm. Genesis 3 sort of promises that childbirth is always going to be a painful experience, Mm. which is rough. I mean, we all get different curses from Genesis 3, but that is one of the significant ones. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you just think like it's, Mm. yeah. 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 Uh, Yeah. It's like that whole, we get painted this picture of this romantic, of like, it was all fine. You know, they found. Easy birth, silent Jesus in a manger. Yeah. Oh, the animals were fine around them. Like I think that's me watching nativity scenes and stuff mm. <laughs> as a yep. kid, like saying, oh, that's cute and peaceful and there's just angels and animals and it's just, yeah, the manger just sitting there. Like yeah. it's calm. A little drummer boy for some reason. Yeah, like there's no, <laughs> there's no talk about if it was bad or if it was an mm. easy birth. It's just interesting. Yeah. Including that sort of birth, I think it's important because it reinforces that fact that he is man mm. and and man and god but makes it so much more relatable mm. to, yeah. to 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 me and and you know you sort of want to follow him even more because he was like us um he knows the human experience mm. Mm. while still being emmanuel god with us yes yeah yeah like it could have been done so differently they could have just placed a baby in a manger not had mary birth the baby like yeah. it could have been done so differently mm. but they used someone Mm-hmm. Like an everyday someone to mm-hmm. birth the child. Yeah. Yeah, he's God. He literally had infinite options yeah, for what he wanted to do. Exactly. But he chose that option. Yeah. yeah. So as we come to a sort of uh, a close, mm-hmm. any, any final thoughts to wrap this up? I feel like I already shared my final thoughts, mm-hmm. which is about the idea of 
Jesus living the human experience. Mm. Like that is what I see in these early chapters of Matthew is we get really, really important theological framework for everything we're going to read. And we're introduced to this character, Jesus. He comes from an epic lineage. He was foretold and expected and fulfills things. But then he's born, which is just so unexpected. Like every good superhero story starts in like, I don't know, a hard childhood moment or the moment they get their powers as they're a fully fledged adult. It doesn't start with here's them being born. Mm. Mm. And so it's just a, a great way to start off as we look at Matthew together. And I'm excited to dive into Matthew 3 and 4 next time. Mm, that should be exciting. Morgan? Yeah, I just think um, as a newbie, this story is so important. Um, like Matthew is so important and it has been such a benefit for me to really thoroughly discuss this and talk about it and dive deeper into the information um, and hear the background of it. And for me, it's made it a lot more relatable, like you guys have been saying, like a real life human Mm. and what they went through, like the severity of the situation at the time. Um, So it's been really cool to explore that further. And yeah, I can't wait. There's so much in Matthew that I Mm. am excited to go further with it. Yeah, and I think for me, it's, it's again, like what we're sort of saying, it's that relatability to it all, but it's get up and go when you're called. Mm. Like, don't be, you may be afraid and it may be scary, but take up the call and, 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 and go. Lockie, can I get you to pray for us? Absolutely. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the Bible and the fact that we can read it together in this space and discuss it and understand you better. Uh, I ask that anyone who listens to this podcast, they will just take out the truthful bits of what we say. They will understand you better as a result of listening. uh, And that would all continue understanding you at a far greater level. And because of that greater understanding, just love you more and more for what you've done for us um, and the experiences you went through for us. And so we thank you for this opportunity. Amen. 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 And thank you. Thank you, Morgan. Thank you, Lachlan. No worries. Thank you, Josh. Uh, Thank thank you. you. Thank you. And thank you for all those that are listening to this. Um, I hope you got a lot out of it. And this encourages you to dive deep into your own Bible and and exploring Matthew. And I hope that we can explore Matthew together. Please feel free to send any questions in to us on any of the, um, sort of the social media platforms. We'd love to, to see what your thoughts are as well as get your questions because there's always going to be questions that, mm. that come up and then hopefully in the future we'll be able to uh, attempt to answer them if we can or, or answer them. This podcast will be available wherever you consume your podcast. Make sure you follow us on socials like Facebook, Instagram and TikTok for updates and news. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Expert PK and Newbie podcast. Bye. A Mustard Seed Creative Production.